white race fans from high above the racing capital of the world, Indianapolis, Indiana, I bring you the maiden episode of the 7th Gear Overrev podcast with me, your host, Kevin Kraus, where we try to tell the stories that you can only write. Now, in this inaugural episode, we are going to answer the burning questions of what exactly is the 7th Gear Overrev podcast and who the hell is Kevin Kraus and why should I listen to him? So let's pull that 7th Gear and dive right in. All right, so first things first, what exactly is the 7th Gear Overrev podcast? Well, for those of you that know me, know that I had been hosting a Facebook Live program called the 7th Gear Show, which we still do from time to time. Uh, but that was started in the in late 2016, early 2017 by me as a, as a means to show a, a potential sponsor that we could give them uh, some added value as we were searching for sponsors. Uh, so that was why that show started to begin with. Now, as we grew the show, had some fantastic guests. Obviously, uh, for those of you familiar with Facebook Live, it's a great forum to be able to have people interact in a live basis. We had some fantastic guests, some great interaction. We really built a good following up to as many as about uh, 5,000 reach. Kind of hit that peak when I interviewed uh, Trans Am driver Cameron Lawrence on location at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway during the Trans Am Vintage Weekend to the point where the, uh, the Trans Am series actually picked up the interview and posted it on their website. So things were looking fantastic, almost to the point where we thought we might be able to entertain the idea of monetizing the show. And then at the end of that year, we took the traditional Christmas break because everything in the automotive world is pretty well shut down, uh, at least for a few weeks at that time of year. And then when we came back at the beginning of the following year to start it up again, all of a sudden our viewership had dropped from that high of about 5,000 down to like 250. And I was like, what the hell's going on here, right? And what I didn't know at the time, I didn't find out until about six months later, thanks to a very good friend of mine, was that our lovely friends over at Facebook had changed the algorithm. So no longer did it have the reach by the same means that it did before. They had changed that. And the only way you could achieve that same reach is by buying Facebook ads. So needless to say, it was uh, F-U-F-B. So at that point, I was not real happy lost all the hard work that I'd done and suddenly now instead of it being a a fun thing to do that might help uh, generate some additional sponsorship for myself for my pro racing career it was suddenly like we were starting from scratch and having to start over and then it was work and it was a job and it was no longer fun so I pretty well backed off of it for a while occasionally did a show here and there some 500 uh, preview shows you know on location places like road atlanta things like that and it was it was fun but it just didn't quite have the same feel to it so again still kind of backed off and then over time more and more people were like hey when are you bringing the show back when are you going to bring the show back we want the show bring the show back so i entertained that thought and thought you know we'd actually we're pretty good at that and uh, had some fun with it and had some great interactions. So I decided that while I'm still going to do the Facebook Live 7th Gear show from time to time, perhaps the best way to work around uh, the the lovely uh, social media police, shall we say, at Facebook was to start a podcast. So this is sort of the uh, the love child of the 7th Gear show. It's its, it's, it's sister podcast, 7th Gear Overrev. So basically that way we get the opportunity to kind of control what we do we can say a little bit more freely what we want we can stir the pot a little bit here we don't have to worry about being censored or or blocked or things like that so we're we're bringing it back and we're 
we're coming in hot with it. We've got fantastic guests lined up. Uh, you'll hear uh, in just a moment about a little bit more of my background so you get an, a sense of, of who I am and, and why you should listen to me. Uh, we'll definitely plan on giving you an insider's perspective on, on all things motorsports and even uh, sometimes a little outside of motorsports. So look forward to having you guys uh, on board here as we, we bring you a new episode every week from here on out. So stay tuned, buckle up, and let's get ready for the greatest spectacle in podcasting. So as I mentioned, you can expect new episodes every week, and we're going to have fantastic dialogue interviews with all the years that uh, I've been in the industry. We've got some pretty good connections there. I think you're going to have some some fantastic content to listen to, everything from interviews with, with you know professional drivers. We'll cover pro racing. We'll cover grassroots motorsports. We'll do uh, maybe even some historical perspectives, big uh, vintage guys. So we'll cover all those things. Uh, maybe some book reviews, movie reviews, race reviews. Uh, we've, we've got folks for all of that stuff all across the country and overseas, as a matter of fact. So we've got some great things available. Like I said, you'll get a new episode every week. So I'm looking forward to having you guys on board. So if, if any of this sounds in the least bit intriguing to you right now, I urge you, because I know our motorsports uh, fans are very loyal, I urge you to go ahead and give us a listen, rate us, review us, like us, subscribe. Subscribe to the 7th Gear Overrev podcast so you literally get the drop on every new episode. Make sure you share it with your friends. You can also find us on all of our social media accounts. We've got Instagram, which is 7th Gear Show. We've got our Twitter account, which is, uh, you'll find that uh, at gear underscore seventh. You can also find our website, seventhgearshow.com, where you can drop me an email through that website, or for that matter, you can uh, shoot me an email at kevin at seventh, with the number seven, not spelled out, but the number seven. So kevin at seventhgearshow.com. As well, you can find us on my Lovely friends over at Facebook, 7th Gear Show on Facebook. We also have a 7th Gear Show group page, uh, so ask to be a part of that. Share that with your friends so we can continue to grow that pace. The 7th Gear Show group there on Facebook is going to give you access to exclusive content, certainly previews, things that uh, the, the general public will not get firsthand uh, or first shot at, so to speak. And uh, as far as where you can find the 7th Gear Show, right now we are on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, which is your iTunes we're also on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Alexa, as well as iHeartRadio, with more to come here as the days and the episodes roll on. So the second burning question for the seventh year over Rev folks to know is, who the hell is Kevin Krause? Me, your host, and why should you listen to me on this show? So here's the deal, gang. From before I can even remember, I was going to a racetrack. I grew up just outside of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so home track pretty much at that point, was State Fair Park in Milwaukee. And my grandparents used to do all the timing and scoring at, at the fair park. And for those of you old enough to know this, the IndyCars always came to Milwaukee the following week after the Indianapolis 500. So, like I said, from, from before I can even remember, I was going to the racetrack. You know, if my mom was here on the show with me, she would t- tell you the story about, you know, when I was... When I was just a little baby, and this was back in the day before they allowed wives in the pits, they used to just congregate uh, as a group of, of driver's wives, and they would generally set up in the infield someplace at a racetrack with a picnic blanket, and they would share stories and recipes and food and all that kind of stuff. So my mother uh, had the good fortune of being able to sit with some of the wives there at Milwaukee, including uh, Mrs. Lloyd Ruby, Mrs. Foyt, Mrs. Unser, that sort of thing. So it pretty much... Uh, 
you know, when I was a little child, a little baby, in fact, I got kind of passed around the driver's wives there in the infield like a cheese tray. So that was sort of my first introduction to uh, to the racetrack. And then as I got a little bit older, still Milwaukee being, uh, you know, the closest thing to, to home for me as a little kid, being as curious as I was, I saw in the infield a group of uh, folks, uh, adult men, all circled around. And that was also kind of back in the day when they still wore white t-shirts and white pants and that sort of thing. So being the curious uh certain person that I was I had to find out what everybody was looking at so I kind of horned my way in between uh, every all the drivers well I didn't know drivers at the time but all those those adults to see what was going on and lo and behold I managed to work my way into the middle of a driver's meeting there in the infield of State Fair Park in Milwaukee so uh, rather intimidating but it was, uh, you know, that was that was early days. So I have my grandparents, my grandfather in particular, to thank for my interest in motor racing, and so that that interest always was there. And I accompanied them to as many races as I as I could. And then uh, when I was ten years old, back in the mid seventies, they decided to take me to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the very first time. And you know, that was nineteen seventy five, and I was ten. So you did the math. Yes, I'm old. That's okay. Uh, I won't hold it against you if you don't hold it against me. So that was that was what really set the hooks. So so I was always interested in motorsports. I did a lot of, you know, try to get involved with, you know, the Skip Barber School, work in corners, try to build up credits to go through a driver's school. I did SCCA timing and scoring. I did technical inspection. I did corner working. I did I did pretty much all of it to, to learn the sport from the inside out. And uh, then eventually, uh, back in the, I think it was 87, I had saved my pennies and decided I was going to go put myself through a racing school. And if I was no good at it, I figured they would tell me and I'd go on to collect stamps or something something equally as exciting. And if I was halfway decent, they would tell me that too. So as it turns out, uh, I went to the Spinard David Racing School uh, up in Shannonville, Ontario, Canada, and went through a three-day school and wound up uh, winning my three-day school, which uh, at that point allowed me to come back uh, with a full scholarship to compete against all the other three-day school winners at the end of the season in what they kind of termed a shootout. And uh, at that point, they I think there was, I don't know, 70 guys somewhere in that neighborhood, something like that. Um, the, so the, the prize for winning the shootout was this: the Spinard School had their own Formula 2000 racing series, and that's what they taught in. I think there were 1985 Reynard cars that they used, F2000. So uh, I competed in the runoffs that fall. Uh, unfortunately, I did not win through a very series of circumstances. You know, I had gone to test for a few days beforehand. Everything was going great. Day of the judge competition, somebody had showed up at the last second that I suddenly had to share a car with. And in the first session out, he went out and balled it up. So same car I've been practicing in for three days. And so then uh, for the judge competition, they put me in another car that had uh, a gearbox problem, kept popping out of gear. They put me into another car that had, uh, I forget what problem that car had. And so by the time I got to the third car, my my mental state at that age was was pretty much toast. So I, I did not win, but I think I still finished in the top 10, uh, maybe even top five. I don't remember exactly. But they, the winner that year was uh, somebody that you may have heard of before uh, by the name of Patrick Carpentier. So every time he and I see each other from from that that point on, including today, we kind of give each other crap because uh, you know that that was my ride that he got, and obviously he went on to a pretty good career. So that was my start in motor racing, and the following season, uh, I was able to hook up with a gentleman uh, just outside of Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, that had a Formula 2000 car as well, and was willing to sort of take me under his wing and show me the ropes. And so basically, it was in, with a 1983 uh, Van Diemen. F2000 cars, so uh, I got to go do my my 
rookie test or my my first SCCA school at uh, Indianapolis Raceway Park with that car. Did uh, did reasonably well. So basically, long and short of that story is that uh, it was sort of a rent to own deal. So I paid to rent the car, but it went towards uh, purchasing it, and so that was that was kind of how I got started. I was I wound up being rookie of the year uh, runner up, I think it was. So then uh, we ran the full the next season full time. Uh, all over the place, you know, mid-Ohio, all over the Midwest, because uh, I wanted to go race the the June Sprint, so I had to get my national competition license. Promptly wound up uh, balling the car up in the kink at Road America during the June Sprints. That was that was a big, that was a lot of fun. So we went from there to uh, wanting to move up to a newer car, and I was able to connect with a gentleman that had done some pro racing in Sports 2000s before, and so we partnered up and bought a newer uh, newer Reynard, and I had a truck and trailer and that sort of thing. So we partnered up, figured I could learn a few things from him, and uh, it would help him out as well. And unfortunately, things didn't go quite as planned. So by the end of that following season, uh, we just decided to to call it good, sell the car, share the proceeds, and and kind of go our separate ways while we were still friends. So, and that's so that's what we did. From there, I actually moved down a class because you know by the time we got to the end of that Reynard uh, partnership deal, it was just not really that much fun. But I moved down into a club Formula Ford, an old Dulon MP15, I think it was, and suddenly things started getting fun again. I was qualifying in the top five every weekend around the Midwest. I was actually leading my very first race, Blackhawk Farms in Beloit, Illinois, pulling away, and I had a half shaft break while I was leading, which was just gutting. Um, I could taste that first victory and man, that was, that was a gut punch right there. But anyway, racing was fun again. And I proved that, uh, you know, I had some talent. We were able to do some things. So shortly after that, I had the opportunity that actually the opportunity was presented to me because I wanted to move back up into Formula Cars because the goal had always been to try to get to Indy and run the 500. Well, I had the opportunity then to sell that club Formula Ford and for not a whole lot more money beyond what I had gotten for the Formula Ford to buy a Formula Super V. So I did that and that made a lot of sense. Uh, wings, crown effects, more horsepower, bigger tire, all that fun stuff, and wound up winning my first race ever in that car at Road America. So that's certainly a, a track that is near and dear to my heart because that was my first race win and things were looking fantastic. We were on the, uh, had some momentum on the move and then we got to a point where things were going well enough that we either needed to find some more money to go pro racing or I needed to take a step back because pretty much at that point I was funding it all out of my own pocket as well as putting myself through school. And unfortunately the sponsorship didn't quite materialize the way we needed it to so I decided to take a step back and at that point I had the opportunity to buy a franchise in a restaurant company that I'd been working for at the time while I was you know working my way through school you know running my race program working full-time all that fun stuff um so sold the race all the race equipment moved to tucson arizona bought a business thinking uh, you know if we took a step back built the business up we could get back into it in a couple of years and then really go after it well as fate should have it that that proposition didn't work out so well either wound up getting out of that business after only about a year but while i was there um another opportunity presented itself now, at the time I was living in Arizona, this is the probably the late 90s, just about 2000, my father was a radio announcer at a station in uh, the metropolitan Milwaukee area, and he had gotten invited to a Skip Barber uh, media day at Road America, nonetheless. And he got to drive everything, the Formula cars, I think they had Dodge Neons at the time, Vipers perhaps, I don't remember the, the all the details of that, but he went up and had a fantastic time, and 
he called me up afterwards so excited. He's like, oh my God, Kevin, these, this is your deal. I was talking to the instructors. They're speaking your language. This is totally you. You can talk to these guys. You could do this. Why don't you send me a resume? I've got the media gal's uh, contact info. She can forward your email. So get me your resume. You should totally do this. And I'm like, ow. Okay, certainly. So I'm like, but slow your roll there, Dad. Uh, I'm going to, uh, certainly I sent him a resume, which ultimately went nowhere. But I figured, uh, I said to myself, you know, as long as I'm sending a resume 2,500 miles away, I might as well go ahead and send a resume to another racing school that I knew of just up the road from me, which was the famous Bob Bondurant uh, School of High Performance Driving. So I figured, why not? And at that time, it was the middle of summer, you know, in Arizona, those of you that may or may not know, it's about 8,000 degrees a day uh, in Arizona during the summer. But as it turns out, it was fortuitous timing because they had lost a handful of instructors. Some of them had gone on to help start the new, uh, at that time, the Panos Racing School, and a couple others went off to do other things. So uh, timing was right. Timing is everything, as they say. So I went up, I interviewed with Bob and his uh, chief instructor, Mike McGovern. Things went well. I got hired, and uh, that started an eight-year run as an instructor at the Bondurant School. And I credit uh, I credit all those guys for for a lot of my early development in terms of not only car control skills and driving skills, but my ability to teach people how to do that as well. Now, while I was there at the Bondurant School, about midway through my tenure there, I had a few people come through that were from the Chicago area, and they were members of what was at the time this new concept called a racetrack country club. And in particular, this was the Audubon Country Club in Joliet, Illinois. And a couple of those guys were like, wow, this is, this is great. You're awesome. You know, the club could use somebody like you. Why don't you come up and, and you know, work there? And I said, well... Once you, if you can get me an in, I'd be happy to, to do something like that. And so they put the word out for me, and I got an invite up there to do a couple of flag talks and that sort of thing to their members. And then uh, ultimately got hired uh, there along, uh, by, along by my, uh, my boss, uh, Mr. Tom Bagley, multi-time Indy 500 starter, veteran, uh, Super V champion. So I worked directly under Tom for a number of years. Included, and so my title there was the assistant track manager. So uh, predominantly, I handled all the new uh, member driver training. I was the person in charge of, at the time, their their BMW uh, program because they had manufacturer involvement in a fleet of cars from BMW. So I managed that. And while I was there at the Autobahn, I had the great fortune to uh, be able to get hired for my first pro race, which was a time of Grand Am Series race out in uh, Miller Motorsports Park in Salt Lake City, Utah. And then uh, I also was able to got the opportunity to do my Indy Lights rookie test uh, just right across the street at Chicagoland Speedway, which was awesome. Totally intimidated, but uh, no insurance, by the way, just so you know. So had to had to put my stones on the line for that one. Um, but passed my passed my rookie test, and life was looking good. So uh, along about that same time, I had met somebody that was at the Autobahn from, for a program, and they had wanted to buy, go IndyCar, or at least Indy Lights Racing, and so it seemed like a pretty good match made in heaven. And uh, we were getting ready to, I had actually known of a team in Phoenix that had an Indy Lights team, a two-car team, and all the equipment, haulers, the whole deal that uh, was looking to sell. And so we had made an appointment to go fly out there and, and look at the program and look at the cars and all that kind of stuff and seal the deal. However, the day before we were supposed to fly out in this guy's private jet, he calls me up and he says, hey, I'm really, really sorry. I totally spaced it. I've got a birthday party that I committed to tomorrow. Can we go next week? Um, What am I going to say? You're writing a million plus dollar check. No. Well, of course we can go the next week. What the hell? 
right? So unfortunately, the very next day, and this was 2008, and that was when the recession kicked off and the the economy tanked, the whole deal turns out most of this guy's uh, wealth was paper, which he lost most of. And so that whole scenario of, are you going to do it? Are you not going to do it? That dragged out for the better part of another year before it eventually fell apart completely. In the meantime, as the recession continued on, the Autobahn lost their vehicle partner, BMW. So with that recession going on, they wound up having to uh, furlough, release, let go of some people to, to cut their expenses. And unfortunately, I got kind of swept up in those layoffs and wound up not being the assistant track manager anymore. Fortunately, I, I was able to pick up some some gigs doing some manufacturer events with Cadillac, the CTSV Academy, uh, you know, some things with Toyota, with Lincoln, you know, a few other things here and there uh, to make ends meet. And then uh, about 2010, 11-ish, I get a call out of the blue from uh, somebody saying, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're, we've got the contract for the United States AMG Mercedes Driving Academy, uh, and we've got your resume here. And we'd like to know if you'd be interested in joining us. We think you'd be a good fit. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I don't know how the hell you got my resume because I haven't sent it out to anybody. <laughs> but I'm, thank you. But in the meantime, the, the bigger issue is, would you like to be a part of the program? So just imagine me getting that call and then putting my hand over the, the telephone and then holding it away from you know my, my head and my face, trying to contain my excitement, but trying to not be overly excited. After that, that brief dramatic pause, I got on the phone and said, yeah, I'd I'd be happy to join the AMG Academy. Thanks. So that's what started my run there. And now I've, 2020 here is my ninth year with AMG Academy, and it's been awesome. Met some fantastic people, got to do some great things. And in the meantime, I've also, uh, through one of my coaching clients, because I had maintained that relationship with, with much of the membership at the Audubon Country Club, decided he wanted to go professional racing back in 2015. And so... I kind of took him by the hand and educated him as to, you know, what sports car series were what, what was the difference between this, that, you know, ABC, what was a good cost-effective series, what was a competitive car, you know, biggest bang for the buck. So we wound up putting together a Pirelli World Challenge sports car team with a Porsche Cayman in the touring car category. And then uh, the first year, I think it was in 2015, we just decided to do, I think it was a couple of race weekends at a couple of tracks that I was already familiar with to try to give ourselves a, kind of stack the odds in our favor a little bit, give us the best chance to, to do well right out of the gate, which we did. Um, we got some great uh, great press from uh, from the broadcast team there that was running the show, the Pirelli World Challenge Series stuff. And then so we ran a full full series the following year. Unfortunately, they, they had uh, the team owner um, had pulled the car from the original uh, the, the original builder and crew chief and, and brought it brought it in-house to somebody that he worked with at the Autobahn. And unfortunately, their, their plate was a little too full so that we couldn't really do the, the, the proper testing. You know, we really didn't have the resources to go and do things. And then uh, they added a second car and, and we had, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a revolving door of, of engineers. I, I can't tell you how many different ones I had in, in a six race weekend. I mean, it was 12 races, but two races each weekend uh, out of six weekends. I think I only had the same engineer, maybe once or twice but despite all that we finished the season out of I think 40 plus drivers that had you know accumulated at least a point in the touring car category I think we finished seventh in the points uh that season uh you know we were running up front I think we finished six points out of sixth place in the final point standings but we were running in the top top four top six you know in in the PWC series so that was awesome but at the end of that season uh the car owner decided that 
that was enough for him. He had gotten what he wanted out of it, and he was he was pulling his funding. He said uh, to myself and my teammate, he goes, the cars are still there if you guys want to run them, but you're going to have to find the money to do it, which as a racer is not anything new and different. You know, we're always used to having to raise money. But I was thinking to myself, well, you know, if you're really not going to do what it takes to really compete for championships, why why would I come back to that program? So I would just as soon take my money as someplace that's really dedicated to, to doing what it takes to win. And a car hunter just, just really wasn't. He just didn't quite quite un- understand what it took. So anyway, that was uh, that was my PWC stint. In the meantime, you know, I'm still still with AMG. You know, we still do some other things. I've still been working, uh, working that program. I've been a spotter for a number of uh, Indy Lights, Indy Car guys, uh, particularly at the Speedway here in Indianapolis. A lot of that type of work, so a lot of a lot of broad perspective from the business side as well as the management and, and the active driving and kind of every aspect of motorsport. So that, my friends, is why you should listen to what I have to say on the Seventh Year Overrev podcast. That was sort of the Reader's Digest version of my history, but it gives you a good idea of my background. It's it's pretty pretty expansive, in my opinion. I'm fortunate to, to have accumulated uh, as many relationships and experiences I have over about 30-plus uh, years in, in the business. So I, I highly recommend and hope that you listen to the show and share it with your friends. And, and as I said in an earlier segment there, like the show, review it, rate it, subscribe so that you literally get the drop on new episodes as they come out check out our social media platforms we've got a facebook page for the seventh year show as well as the seventh year show group where you'll get some exclusive content some early release types of types of things we're on instagram we're also on twitter and the, the handle on twitter is at gear underscore seventh so at gear underscore seventh you can also check out the seventh gear show website which is exactly what it sounds like seventhgearshow.com but you have to you have to use the number seven don't spell out seven or you can just drop me an email at kevin at seventhgearshow.com. Again, use the number seven, not the spelling of the number seven. Let me know what you think. Give me some suggestions, things you'd like to see on the show, that type of deal. And also don't forget, wherever you're finding this podcast right now, currently we are on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, which is your iTunes store, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Alexa, as well as iHeartRadio. we got more coming as we build up some more episodes. Needless to say, gang, I really hope you enjoy this inaugural episode, getting to know me, getting to know what the show's all about. Don't forget, you can expect a new episode every week uh, from here on out. So make sure that you tune in to 7th Gear Overrev, the greatest spectacle in podcasting. This has been 7th Gear Over Rev.